0: All right, we are starting a new series this morning, and I'm stoked ready to go. Uh, 1982. Who was alive in 1982 here, and is okay with everybody else knowing that? OK. 1982. 1982 was a pretty big year for me. It was the year that I officially became a big fan of televised sports. And uh, 1982 was the year that my dad's favorite team, my dad was a big hockey fan, while well, sports fan my dad was a Vancouver Canucks fan. Anybody here a Vancouver Canucks fan? I know this is like football territory, but um, anybody? Okay, just me. That's totally cool. All right. But uh, my dad was a huge Vancouver Canucks fan. In 1982 was the year that the Vancouver Canucks went. They just had a stellar season, and they ended up going right to the Stanley Cup finals, which is like the big championship of hockey. And 1982, I was just in front of the TV, glued to it. Vancouver wasn't supposed to be in the finals. Uh, they were kind of a Cinderella team, in that particular year, they were going up against the perennial hockey giants, the New York Islanders, and uh, they were in the finals, though, with them. New York had already won two Stanley Cups, and they were expected to win three, but here Vancouver and all of British Columbia was, was just rooting for this team. Our hopes were high. They got there, and it was a best-of-seven series. Vancouver lost every single game, and all of our hopes were just dashed to the ground. But nevertheless, I had tasted the excitement, the thrill of hope that comes with being a fan of sports and I was absolutely hooked. And so over the years, I've followed the Vancouver Canucks. Um, My two other big teams I've followed over the years um, were the Seattle Seahawks and the the Seattle Mariners. And it's the same thing, especially with, with two of those teams, it's the same thing every single year with the Vancouver Canucks and the Seattle Mariners in particular. Before the season starts, it's a lot of hope. You're just, this could be the year. Everything is hyped up. You've made some off-season acquisitions and some trades and some maneuvering. And just, there's all kinds of hope at the start of the season that this is going to be the year. But inevitably what happens is the season starts and you quickly discover that once again, we are going to have a mediocre team. But the team will typically do just enough to keep you in it, Maybe stay just above 500 enough to kind of keep you interested, keep the hopes just alive. And maybe at the end of the year, the team might just squeak in a late-season run and just squeak into the playoffs. But at some point every single year, it it always ends the same. They will lose. And with that, the hope always turns to despair. But the thrill of hope keeps coming back because uh, you're, you're hooked. And a sports addict's favorite line is, We'll get them next year. And so your team makes some trades, and once again, the despair turns back to hope, and you believe all over again. You're suckered right into it, believing that this could be, could be the year. And one of the reasons I think that professional sports, and I, I totally understand that there's some in this room this morning, you're like, I could give a rip about professional sports. That is totally okay. But one of the reasons that professional sports typically is a, a lot of people like sports is because they, it kind of mirrors life in a lot of ways. And one of the ways in particular that professional sports mirrors life is that it's just this constant back and forth between hope and despair, hope and despair. And we keep coming back, hoping for the best, hoping for a win, a championship, but it doesn't happen and and despair settles in. And life is is very similar that way. You hope that maybe you're going to meet that special someone someday and months turn into years though and despair settles in, but then you get a phone call, or someone looks at you a certain way, and the next thing you know, hope is alive all over again. Or you hope that you're going to get that new job, maybe you get that interview, but then weeks go on after the interview, and there's no call back, and the, the hope turns to despair, but then you get a call for that second interview, and boom, just like that, hope is back into play once again. Christmas time rolls around, and then we find ourselves with a whole new set of hopes. Maybe you go into the season, and you're You're hoping that this could be the year that your family maybe kind of mends itself a little bit. Maybe you're hoping that this Christmas season, you might finally find some much-needed peace on earth, and you know that it's talked about at Christmas, sung about more than any time of year, and so you go into this with, with some hope. But as the season wears on, everything is just as crazy and just as chaotic as last year, and then what can typically happen is all of a sudden the hope, just turns back into despair. And so we find ourselves going back and forth, hope, despair, hope, despair, hope, and despair. And deep down, if we're honest, all of us want to have hope. I don't know anybody that wants to believe for the worst in the future, wants to go into the future believing that the worst is yet to come. No, you want to believe that the best is yet to come. You want to believe that, that the future is going to get better. You want to believe that you're going you're to experience healing in the future. You're wanna, you want to believe that that at some point, some good is gonna come into your life. We wanna have hope. Hope is, is part of who we are, yet, hope, it just seems to slip through our hands so easily. The thrill of hope can be so short lived. It's, it's like you, you grasp it, but it, it, just, it just disappears out, out of our, our grasp so easily. The greatest enemy of hope is loss. It's loss. Loss is the, like the gateway to hopelessness, it's the gateway to despair. Your team loses the Super Bowl on the one-yard line, and it seems like it was just yesterday, but despair settles in. Or you get out on the basketball court after decades of, of maybe you've taken a little bit of time off, and you get on the basketball course, you're like, you're court, you're like, I'm going to get back into this, and you think, okay, I'm going to start easy, I'm going to jump and try to, rather than dunk it, I'm just going to try to touch the basketball rim, and you go to touch the rim, and you pull your back out of joint, and you realize that you have lost your youthful vigor that you once had. True story, that actually happened to me. But, um, or you look in the mirror and, and you notice the loss of a six-pack or the loss of hair or the loss of wrinkle-free skin and, and you can lose hope and you find despair settling in. Or you lose your health, you lose your kids to college, you lose a job, you lose a home, you lose a dream, you lose an election, you lose your childhood, you lose a husband or a wife in a nasty divorce, or you lose your sobriety. With all this loss, we can find ourselves landing in a pretty hopeless place. And and here's the deal. Life is full of loss, and not one single person in this room gets a free pass when it comes to to loss. We all lose in our life. How's that for you? Just an awesome Sunday morning pickup for you this morning. You're all going to lose. Loss is part of life. It is part of life. And all this loss, though, that we experience in life, it it can drain hope and allow hopelessness or despair even to kind of settle into its place. But what if, what if, here's a question for us, what if rather than living lives of hopelessness, what if instead we could live lives that are full of hope? Regardless of the loss that we experience, regardless of the loss that's coming our way, what if in the middle of all that, we could still be people that are overflowing with hope, who could be people that, that are just full of the, 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 the hope of Jesus, a hope that's sure, a hope that's unshakable. In the Bible, we don't actually find any, any sports teams to hang our hopes on, but the closest thing that there, there was in Scripture to a sports team was the underdog nation of Israel, um, the story of David and Goliath really kind of tells the whole story of this nation of Israel. They were not supposed to be there in the championship, but they constantly found themselves in these, these, these places because they had a, a victory, because they had this great God on their side who was constantly helping them experience these amazing victories. And after David and, and Goliath, that whole, whole deal, Israel was actually kind of on top of the world. They were like the global superpower of the day, they had all kinds of wealth, fame, power. All that was in their grasp. They were like world champions and uh, all kinds of hope. And while they're at the pinnacle of the, this, this place as a, as a nation, God comes along and he makes this incredible promise to King David, which in effect actually ended up being a promise to the nation of Israel. God comes along to them and says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And this is actually a pretty incredible promise for God to make. It's like he comes along to to your sports team, maybe it's the Seahawks, maybe it's the Mariners, and he says, I want you, listen, you guys are going to be champions forever. You guys are going to, you're going to be a dynasty that's not going to end. You're just going to go on and on and on and on at the top of the world. Now, we would be pretty excited if that was the case, right? And likewise, Israel's in the same spot. God has made this huge promise, and they've got lots of hope, Hope is alive, and as history would go, David would die, and then his son would come along, Solomon, the wisest man ever. Solomon would become the next king. Solomon would actually take this kingdom, and he would expand this kingdom. They'd have more wealth, more fame, more power than ever under Solomon, and uh, they're they're set up in this great spot. Israel's loving it. They're on top of the world, but then things would begin to unravel. King Solomon, he lets some dysfunction in. He allows sin to kind of creep into the kingdom, and as a result, two of his sons get into this big fight, and they divide the kingdom in half. You've got a king for the northern kingdom. You've got a king for the southern kingdom, and everything just just becomes a little bit weaker. Some despair begins to settle in, but then a new king steps on the scene. The thrill of hope is back, and this king comes along, and And they would have all their hopes in this new king, but then the king would come along and do some things that would actually make the kingdom even weaker. And before long, the people would realize that it's not going to get better, and then hope would settle, or despair would settle back in, in place of hope. But then, a new king would step on the scene. And their hope would be alive once again, and they would think, maybe this is the king that's going to usher in this promise that God made of a strong kingdom, a throne that would last forever. But then quickly they realized that this king was actually no better than the previous king. And then their despair would just settle in all over again. But then a new king would come along, make some off-season acquisitions, and then their hope would be alive. But then this new king would do terrible things. He'd go off the rails, commit adultery, idolatry, uh, injustice, and, and hope would just disappear. And so Israel has this back and forth. Hope, despair. Hope in this new king, then despair. Back and forth, back and forth, until finally what ended up happening is a foreign power comes in, crushes the nation of Israel, and then takes off the nation of Israel, takes the people into exile into a foreign land. Now, it's one thing to lose hope because your, your team is just terrible every single year. It's another thing to lose hope because your team is sold to another city. Hello, Seattle Supersonics fans, right? <laughs> Sorry for bringing that up. But there's no hope. You're like, they, it's not like they're just bad. They're, they're not even here. And that's what's happening here with Israel. They don't just have bad kings now. What's, what's ended up happening is they have just been completely sold to another city, and they are in total despair. And the, the prophet Jeremiah, he actually captures just how they're feeling. He prays this prayer. He cries out to God and says, You are the hope of Israel, its Savior in times of distress. Why are you like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who stays only a night? Why are you like a man taken by surprise, like a warrior powerless to save? You are among us, Lord, and we bear your name. Do not forsake us. And they just feel forsaken by God. They're wondering, okay, God, you had said this. You made this promise. You said that the kingdom was never going to end you said that you're going you're to set up your throne you made this promise but god we're in exile god what's what's going on here and israel remains in exile and they, they wait for a savior to come along and deliver them but they're questioning what's going on and having been a christian for most of my life there's something that i've learned a lot about god and god and that's this god is actually full of promises You open your Bible, you'll realize that there's one promise after another promise after another promise. God comes along and says, I'm going to give you life and life to the full. God says, I'm going to give you peace that transcends all understanding. He says, I'm going to supply all your needs according to to my riches and glory. I'm going to lead you beside still waters. And I don't know about you, but when I read a promise that God makes to me, I mean that to mean that, that God is actually going to accomplish that promise right now. But a lot of times, That's not what happens. And when the nation of Israel, what what they have to learn, what we so often have to learn, is that it can be a long wait from the place where God promises to the place where God saves. Or to the place where God delivers. To the place where God comes through on that promise that he's made. You see, we love God's promises a lot, but we don't actually enjoy God's timeline. We don't like God's timelines. We like the promise, but we don't like that, that we've got to wait for it, which is a problem because God's timelines are often way, way different than our timelines. We want it now, and God comes along and says, no later. And it's often in the waiting for the promised future that we'll lose hope. We're waiting for God to come through, and we're waiting for him to do what he says he's going to do, and It doesn't happen, and and, and then we find ourselves losing hope. And here we find Israel in this point of history. They have been taken into exile. They're all waiting for a savior, but they don't wait in hope. They actually wait in despair. And then what God does is actually something that they weren't really expecting. God actually doesn't really do anything. And if you had a, a hard-copy Bible with you this morning, you'd find that your Bible is split into two parts. There's part one called the Old Testament, part two called the New Testament. The Old Testament, it, it closes. Israel is in exile in a place of hopelessness, and what does God do? He actually seemingly disappears for 400 years. That's the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament part of the Bible, also called the intertestamental period. Um, It's also known as the silent years. We don't really know what happens, but but it just seems like God disappears from from the scene. And 400 years is is a long, long time. Just to put that in perspective for you, this morning, 400 years ago, there there wasn't one European settler on the continent. That's a long, long time. And for Israel, the promise of of David's kingdom and throne being established forever, it's just become this kind of faint whisper on the winds of time that doesn't seem to have much hope. But then God begins to speak. And hope begins to stir. And it happens in the most unlikely of places. It happens to the most unlikely of people in a shire far, far away. No, it wasn't really a shire. just made that up little Lord of the Rings humor for you this morning, but part two of history would begin like this. Scripture says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a little hick town, podunk, podunk town, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Hope stirs. He's a descendant of David the royal bloodlines runs in his veins the virgin's name the bible says was mary and the angel went to her and said greetings you who are highly favored the lord is with you mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be after all angels don't show up and say hi every day but the angel said to her do not be afraid mary you have found favor with god you will conceive and give birth to a son And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. It's like God is coming along and saying something not only to Mary but in a greater effect to the nation of Israel. He's coming along and he's saying, okay, I made a promise to you back in the day you might have thought that I forgot about this promise that, that I made, but I didn't. And I'm here to see this promise through to fulfillment. And Mary, it's going to happen through your son. Now, Mary should be full of hope, and the thrill of hope should be alive. But actually, Mary's got some much more practical things on her mind in this moment. She's going, I'm a virgin. A virgin. And um, there's a problem here, Mr. Angel. I live in a culture where me getting pregnant outside of marriage is a bad deal and there's gonna be rejection. I'm gonna be just, uh, there's gonna be lots of shame. I'm gonna be ostracized from my family and my community. Mary looks at the angel and says, how will this be since I am a virgin? So hope is stirring, but, but the road ahead is not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be easy. And this is actually... Uh, how God works a lot of the times um, when he, he brings hope into a hopeless situation. He'll come along and He'll take your despair and your hopelessness and He'll come along and there'll be bits of hope. But then you stop and you, you go, Okay, this is actually gonna there's gonna be a bit of a long road ahead. Maybe your your marriage is crumbling and falling apart and, and God comes along and He brings some hope. Maybe a kind word is said, maybe God speaks. And, and hope stirs, but you realize, okay, the, ho- the road ahead is not going to be easy. It's going to take some humility. It's going to take some change. It's going to take a lot of hard work. Or maybe your, your addiction has returned, but now you've got some people in your life who care about you and who love you, and all of a sudden, hope begins to stir a little bit, but you, you, you find, as hope is stirring, the realization that it's not going to be easy. There's going to be a, a hard road ahead. The seeds of hope can sometimes come packaged in a difficult challenge or a hardship. And this is where Mary finds herself. The the hope of her nation is being placed on her and and this child that she's going to bear, but she's a virgin. She's going, this sounds good, but I don't know if this is a good thing. And and there's going to be a lot of challenge and hardship. Which actually could end up being cause for for more despair, but, but the angel says some really good words. The angel continues and says, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And God wants her to know something. God wants her to know that, yes, there's hope, and yes, there's going to be a hard road ahead, but listen, Mary, the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. You don't have to face this alone. And it's no different for you if the seeds of hope are packaged in a a difficult challenge. They're packaged in a hardship. Know that God is not asking you to go it alone. God wants you to know something this morning. He wants you to know that he's going to walk this journey with you. And that in itself is cause for tremendous hope. And the angel goes on to say to Mary, he's got some more words to say. Then Mary says, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And, and she who was, was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. That's, that's a promise for us to hang on to. We could actually just stop right there and hang out there for the next two months. No word from God will ever fail. The angel says, "I am, or Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Mary humbly submits to God. God's come, come along and spoken through this angel and, 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 and told her about this son that she's going to have and the hope that there is and about how this son is going to be a, a king that's going to be a, establishing the throne forever. And Mary, she submits. She says, okay, I am the Lord's servant. May, may it be to me uh as as you've said it's going to be may your word to me be fulfilled and when i hear those words of mary her words to me sound anything but full of hope and joy you know you don't get this sense of okay this is awesome i am going to be the mom of the king of kings i'm going to praise god hallelujah thank you jesus there's none of that it's may your word to me be fulfilled in her tone to me, actually, it sounds like reluctant optimism. And I don't know if you've ever been there before, but I've found myself there a time or two. Yeah, God said he'll be with me in the storm. His word says it. I believe it. But eh, I, don't, I don't know. There are st- there's some pretty big storm clouds up there in the sky. Or he said that, that he'll meet me on the other side of my obedience. He said, if I just take the step of faith and if I just follow him in this direction, he, he said that he's gonna be with me, but I'm not so sure. Will he really be with me if 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 I go where he's asking me to go? And you kind of get the sense that this is where Mary finds herself. There's this hope. I'm the, I'm the Lord's servant. May his word be to me as he said it's gonna be, may it be f- fulfilled. But it's like it's weak, and it's like it's so weak that the slightest gust of wind could just come along and blow the hope away. And I love what Mary does next. So important for us this morning. She doesn't try to face the uphill climb alone. She doesn't look at this and go, okay, I'm gonna, yeah, there's, there's some good things that God says are going to happen to me, but it's a big, a battle, uphill climb. She doesn't go, I'm going to try to face this alone. She packs her bags and she heads off to see her cousin, Elizabeth, who, according to the angel, is also pregnant. And Elizabeth, the Bible tells us, is actually she's well advanced in years. She shouldn't be having a baby, and Mary's thinking, okay, if Elizabeth is pregnant, then what the angel said to me must be true. And so she she heads off to visit Elizabeth. And when she sees Elizabeth, Elizabeth comes bursting through the front door. The Bible says that the baby inside Elizabeth's womb actually leapt for joy and then Elizabeth looks at Mary and the Bible says that she said this in a loud voice she exclaimed blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear and what she's doing is she's encouraging Mary her, her words fill Mary with hope and there's such a powerful lesson for us in this when our sense of hope in God and the promises of God is, is frail when it's when it's packaged in a challenge or in a difficulty And here's the lesson. Don't try to face the road ahead alone. Get around others because hope is strengthened by surrounding yourself with hope-filled believers. Mary is about to go from reluctant optimism to being overflowing with hope, to being full of hope. And the only thing that takes place between reluctant optimism and overflowing with hope is that she gets herself around her cousin Elizabeth, and her cousin Elizabeth encourages her, speaks into her life, blesses her, says, Mary, it's going to be okay. And with that, Mary finds her hope strengthened. And it's no secret that you and me, we live in a world that prides itself on independence. A world that prides itself and almost wears individualism Gutting it out on my own, we wear that as a badge of honor. We make heroes out of Lone Rangers. We make action heroes out of, out of people who, who don't need anybody else. We just make it happen on their own. And that, you know, it might work in Hollywood, but the reality is that does not work in real life. You and me need others. And if you're going to live a life full of hope, you need to surround yourself with, with, with others who believe, with others whose faith is going to be strong when yours is weak, with others whose hope is going to be rooted deep when, yours, when you find yours just being unrooted and, and, and caving in around you. And, and not just on Sundays. Sundays are important. You come together and you sing songs of, of hope about who God is, and yes, that encourages you, but it's, it goes beyond that. It's having a group of people in your lives a small group of friends who knows you, who can be there to encourage you along the way. And Mary does that. She gets with Elizabeth, and, and she finds her hope being just strengthened. And, and in this place, Mary goes from reluctant optimism to hope, and she declares this. She declares, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed there is not one bit of despair or hopelessness in those words she says from now on all nations are going to call me me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me holy is his name his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation you see how her tone has changed he has performed mighty deeds with his arm He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but he has uh, sent the rich away empty. Uh, He has filled his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. She has gone from hopelessness or reluctant optimism to being full of hope. She knows that God is going to come through. And these are, are not empty words um, from a, a, a lady who's, who's, who's just got some wishful thinking about God coming through. She is full of hope. And this is a different kind of hope than the world has. Much different. There, the, the hope that this world has actually ends up being a lot more like wishful thinking. I hope that I'm going to get that new job. I hope that, that um, my team wins. I hope that I'm going to get a new car or a new PS4 for Christmas. I hope that, that it's going to snow this week. Anybody in that boat? Who's in the I hope it doesn't snow boat? Okay, some of you? Some of you Grinches in the place? Yeah, okay, whatever. But we have this kind of wishful thinking kind of hope. But the hope that we read about in the Bible, the hope that we see in Mary is so much different. And here's where we're going to be hanging out for the next several weeks is on this statement right here. In Scripture, hope isn't wishful thinking about what might happen. Instead, it's a confident, joy-filled anticipation of what God will do in the future based off of who He is and what He's already done in the past. It's a confident, Expectation of the future and what God is gonna do based off of who he is and based off of what he's already done in the past. You see, Mary is confident as she anticipates the birth of her son. She knows that she knows that God will do great things through this child. And she doesn't base that, that off of wishful thinking, she bases that off of who God is. She says, He is holy. And she bases that off of what God has already done. Over and over again, he, she says, He has done this. He has done that. He has done this thing over here. And because of how she bases this hope and what this hope stems from is a hope that is sure. It's a hope that is confident. And if you find yourself today lacking hope, when you think of the future, you just, it's despair. When you think of of what's to come, it, it doesn't make you come alive. It just it causes hopelessness to well up. Or maybe it just, you've got some reluctant optimism. If that's you, you need to know that you can have a hope that is overflowing today, a hope that is much greater than, than wishful thinking. It's much greater than, than positive thinking. It's much more assured than that, and it can't be taken away by hardship, by the challenges and the losses of life. It, it's not a hope that disappears In the in between of waiting for God to fulfill his promise to you. But the only way to know this kind of hope is by basing it in those two things by basing it in God's character, and by basing that hope in what he's already done for you in the past. Basing it in his character, who he is. God is good. If he wasn't good, you wouldn't be sitting here this morning with the breath of life pumping through through you. God is faithful. He hasn't changed through the ages. He hasn't changed one bit. He hasn't disowned you. I love what Chris said this morning as he was leading us in worship about the love of God. It does not change based off of who you are or what you've done, how well you're doing at this Christian life. His love doesn't change one single bit. He's so faithful. He is powerful. If, if he created the heavens and the earth, if he raised himself from the dead, surely there's nothing that, that he, he can't, can't do. He's a powerful God. But don't just base it in his character. Like Mary, look back on what he's done for you in the past. He has, he, he's brought freedom. He's forgiving you of your sins. He has taken you out of the muck and the mire of sin. Look back on the times that he's delivered you. Look back on those times where, where you, you were going through a valley, but he was walking right beside you through that, that time. And if the past isn't giving you hope, you just need to keep looking further back. You just need to look further back. And isn't that what the Christmas season is really all about? You know, Christmas is about so much more than, than than pretty Christmas trees. It's about so much more than Christmas lights on the house. Thank God, otherwise, yesterday I would have been like a scrooge for the rest of my life. My Christmas lights beat me up big time. <laughs> it's about more than eggnog. It's about more than family get-togethers. It's a time of year to remember. It's a time of year to look back at what God did long ago, to remember the hope-filled words that that the angel came along and spoke to Joseph. And the angel said this, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And you can have hope today because God saves he came to save. He came to die on a cross for our sins. And not just to die on a cross, he, he came and He rose Himself from the grave three days later and is now sitting victorious at the right hand of the Father. Which, and, and because of that, you and I can, can know eternal life, which is the greatest hope of all. And you can have hope. Base your hope in who God is and base your hope out of what God has, has already done for you. And I'm going to close this morning in prayer by, by actually just praying a simple prayer that's found um, in the Bible. It's found in Scripture in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 13. But before I do this and before I pray this prayer over us this morning, I'm wondering if there's anybody in the room this morning that's going, okay, I'm just lacking hope. I don't have, you talk about the future, Rich, and you talk about what's to come, and I, I, there's no hope there at all or very, very little hope. Or maybe there's somebody here this morning that you're going, okay, I am just, it's, it's, it's beyond just lacking hope, Rich, I'm actually, there's just despair. When I think about what the future holds for my family, when I think about what the future holds for uh, my marriage, when I think about what the future holds for me, there's just not a lot of hope. And what I want to do this morning is I would love to pray for you, but I'm going to ask if you would just do something bold and courageous this morning. And I, Before I pray, I'm wondering if you'd be so bold to say, that's me, Rich, I could use some prayer for hope, and you would just raise your hand. Is there anybody here this morning that just goes, I could use some hope? Anybody here? Just raise your hand up nice and high. I can't see because of all the lights, but I'm trusting that there's somebody here. And I'm going to ask that you would would join with me in in praying this prayer. Found in Romans chapter 15. The Apostle Paul in Scripture prays this. May the God of hope. He's not the God of despair. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just this morning want to lift up any in this room this morning that are experiencing hopelessness, whether they raised their hand or whether they they just did not do that. Lord, I pray this morning for each person here that's experiencing hopelessness. And Father, I wanna pray that Lord, you who is the God of all hope, Jesus, that you would come and and begin in this moment, Jesus, to bring hope. Lord, I pray that the words of scripture, Lord, would just be like a, a, uh, just a direct line from you to them, Lord, filling them with hope, Lord, for the future. Lord, with you, the future is always glorious. God, we have so much to look forward to in you as we're going to look at over the next several weeks, but God, there's so much hope to be found in following you, Jesus. And Father, I want to pray that, Lord, this morning, that, that, Lord, you just make yourself known to each person that's experiencing hopelessness. Lord, may they know your faithfulness, your goodness. Lord, just the fact that your love doesn't change, I pray that, Lord, you would work through that today to bring hope. And Lord, may each one of us this Christmas season, God, may we just, as we remember all that you've done and who you are, Father, I pray that we would find hope rising up within us. Lord, I also want to just ask that, that Lord, Lord, those of us in this room who consider ourselves followers of you, God, may we be bearers of hope this season. Lord, in a world that's just lacking hope, Lord, in a world that just looks to the future with despair, God, may we be bearers of hope, I pray. God, may our conversation be seasoned with hope. Not with negativity, but God, with hope. Lord, may may wherever we go, may we be a light of hope to neighbors, to coworkers, to family. And I pray all this in your good name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen.